section four of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two this sir is one among the seigneury has wealth at will and will to use his wealth and wit to increase it mary his worst folly lies in a thriftless sort of charity that goes a-gadding sometimes after objects which wise men will not see when thrust upon them the old couple the ancient gentleman bustled about his shop in pettish displeasure at being summoned hither so hastily to the interruption of his more abstract studies and unwilling to renounce the train of calculation which he had put in progress he mingled whimsically with the fragments of the arithmetical operation his oratory to the passengers and angry reflections on his idle apprentices what do you lack sir madam what do you lack clocks for hall or table night watches day watches locking wheel being forty-eight the power of retort eight the striking pins are forty-eight what do you lack honoured sir the quotient the multiple can that the knaves should have gone out this blessed minute the acceleration being at the rate of five minutes fifty-five seconds fifty-three thirds forty-nine fourths i will switch them both when they come back i will by the bones of the immortal napier here the vexed philosopher was interrupted by the entrance of a grave citizen of a most respectable appearance who saluting him familiarly by the name of davy my old acquaintance demanded what had put him so much out of sorts and gave him at the same time a cordial grasp of his hand the stranger's dress was though grave rather richer than usual his pained hose were of black velvet lined with purple silk which garniture appeared at the slashes his doublet was of purple cloth and his short cloak of black velvet to correspond with his hose and both were adorned with a great number of small silver buttons richly wrought in filigree a triple chain of gold hung round his neck and in place of a sword or dagger he wore at his belt an ordinary knife for the purpose of the table with a small silver case which appeared to contain writing materials he might have seemed some secretary or clerk engaged in the service of the public only that his low flat and unadorned cap and his well-blacked shining shoes indicated that he belonged to the city he was a well-made man about the middle size and seemed in firm health though advanced in years his looks expressed sagacity and good humour and the air of respectability which his dress announced was well supported by his clear eye ruddy cheek and grey hair he used the scottish didium in his first address but in such a manner that it could hardly be distinguished whether he was passing upon his friend a sort of jocose mockery or whether it was his own native dialect for his ordinary discourse had little provincialism in answer to the queries of his respectable friend ramsay groaned heavily answering by echoing back the question what ails me master george why everything ails me i profess to you that a man may as well live in fairyland as in the 
ward of faringdon without my apprentices are turned into mere goblins they appear and disappear like spunkies and have no more regularity in them than a watch without escapement if there is a ball to be tossed up or a bullock to be driven mad or a queen to be ducked for scolding or a head to be broken jenkin is sure to be at the one end or the other of it and then away skips francis tunstall for company i think the prize-fighters bear-leaders and mountebanks are in a league against me my dear friend and that they pass my house ten times for any other in the city here's an italian fellow come over too that they call punchinello and altogether well interrupted master george but what is all this to the present case why replied ramsay here has been a cry of thieves or murder i hope that will prove the least of it amongst these english pock-pudding swine and i have been interrupted in the deepest calculation ever mortal man plunged into master george what man replied master george you must take patience you are a man that deals in time and can make it go fast and slow at pleasure you of all the world have least reason to complain if a little of it be lost now and then but here come your boys and bringing in a slain man betwixt them i think here has been serious mischief i am afraid the more mischief the better sport said the crabbed old watchmaker i'm blithe though that it's neither of the twey loons themselves what are ye bringing a corpse here for ye false villains he added addressing the two apprentices who at the head of a considerable mob of their own class some of whom bore evident marks of a recent fray were carrying the body betwixt them he is not dead yet sir answered tunstall carry him into the apothecaries then replied his master do you think i can set a man's life in motion again as if he were a clock or a timepiece for god's sake old friend said his acquaintance let us have him here at the nearest he seems only in a swoon a swoon said ramsay and what business had he to swoon in the streets only if it will oblige my friend master george i would take in all the dead men in st dustin's parish call sam porter to look after the shop so saying the stunned man being the identical scotsman who had passed a short time before amidst the jeers of the apprentices was carried into the back shop of the artist and there placed in an armchair till the apothecary from over the way came to his assistance this gentleman as sometimes happens to those of the learned professions had rather more lore than knowledge and began to talk of the syncopate and occupate and cerebrum and cerebellum until he exhausted david ramsay's brief stock of patience bellum bellum he repeated with great indignation what signify all the bells in london if you do not put a plaster on the child's crown master george with better directed zeal asked the apothecary whether bleeding might not be useful when after humming and hawing for a moment and being unable upon the spur of the occasion to suggest anything else the man of pharmacy observed that it would at all events relieve the brain or cerebrum in case there was a tendency to the depositation of any extra vesated blood to operate as a pressure upon that delicate organ fortunately he was adequate to performing this operation and being powerfully aided by jenkin vincent who was learned in all cases of broken heads with plenty of cold water and a little vinegar applied according to the scientific method practised by the bottle-holders in a modern ring the man began to raise himself on his chair draw his cloak tightly around him 
and look about like one who struggles to recover sense and recollection he had better lie down on the bed in the little back closet said mr ramsay's visitor who seemed perfectly familiar with the accommodations which the house afforded he is welcome to my share of the truckle said jenkin for in the said back closet were the two apprentices accommodated in one truckle bed i could sleep under the counter so can i said tunstall and the poor fellow can have the bed all night sleep said the apothecary is in the opinion of galen a restorative and febrifuge and is most naturally taken in a truckle bed where a better cannot be come by said master george but these are two honest lads to give up their beds so willingly come off with his cloak and let us bear him to his couch i will send for dr irving the king's chirurgeon he does not live far off and that shall be my share of the samaritan's duty neighbour ramsay well sir said the apothecary it is at your pleasure to send for other advice and i shall not object to consult with dr irving or any other medical person of skill neither to continue to furnish such drugs as may be needful from my pharmacopoeia however whatever dr irving who i think hath had his degrees in edinburgh or dr any one beside be he scottish or english may say to the contrary sleep taken timiously is a febrifuge or sedative and also restorative he muttered a few more learned words and concluded by informing ramsay's friend in english far more intelligible than his latin that he would look to him as his paymaster for medicines care and attendance furnished or to be furnished to this party unknown master george only replied by desiring him to send his bill for what he had already to charge and to give himself no farther trouble unless he heard from him the pharmacopolist who from discoveries made by the cloak falling a little aside had no great opinion of the faculty of this chance patient to make reimbursement had no sooner seen his case espoused by a substantial citizen than he showed some reluctance to quit possession of it and it needed a short and stern hint from master george which with all his good humour he was capable of expressing when occasion required to send to his own dwelling this esculapius of temple bar when they were rid of mr rare drenched the charitable efforts of jenkin and francis to divest the patient of his long grey cloak were firmly resisted on his own part my life sooner my life sooner he muttered in indistinct murmurs in these efforts to retain his upper garment which was too tender to resist much handling it gave way at length with a loud rent which almost threw the patient into a second syncope and he sat before them in his undergarments the looped and repaired wretchedness of which moved at once pity and laughter and had certainly been the cause of his unwillingness to resign the mantle which like the virtue of charity served to cover so many imperfections the man himself cast his eyes on his poverty-struck garb and seemed so much ashamed of the disclosure that muttering between his teeth that he would be too late for his appointment he made an effort to rise and leave the shop which was easily prevented by jenkin vincent and his comrade who at the nod of master george laid hold of and detained him in his chair the patient next looked round him for a moment and then said faintly in his broad northern language what sort of usage call ye this gentleman to a stranger a sojourner in your town ye hey broken my head ye hey riven my cloak and now ye are for restraining my personal liberty they were wiser than me he said after a moment's pause that counselled me to wear my worst clothing in the streets of london and if i could have got only things worse than these mean garments which would have been very difficult said jim then in a whisper to his companion 
they would have been e'en o'er good for the grips o men say little acquainted with the laws of honest civility to say the truth said jenkin unable to forbear any longer although the discipline of the times prescribed to those in his situation a degree of respectful distance and humility in the presence of parents masters or seniors of which the present age has no idea to say the truth the good gentleman's clothes look as if they would not brook much handling hold your peace young man said master george with a tone of authority never mock the stranger or the poor the black ox has not trod on your foot yet you know not what lands you may travel in or what clothes you may wear before you die vincent held down his head and stood rebuked but the stranger did not accept the apology which was made for him i am a stranger sir said he that is certain though methinks that being such i have been somewhat familiarly treated in this town of yours but as for my being poor i think i need not be charged with poverty till i seek siller of somebody the dear country all over said master george in a whisper to david ramsay pride and poverty but david had taken out his tablets and silver pen and deeply immersed in calculations in which he rambled over all the terms of arithmetic from the simple unit to millions billions and trillions neither heard nor answered the observation of his friend who seeing his abstraction turned again to the scot i fancy now jockey if a stranger were to offer you a noble you would chuck it back at his head not if i could do him honest service for it sir said the scot i'm willing to do what i made to be useful though i come of an honourable house and may be said to be in a sort indifferently weal provided for ay said the interrogator and what house may claim the honour of your descent an ancient coat belongs to it as the place says whispered vincent to his companion come jockey out with it continued master george observing that the scot as usual with his countrymen when asked a blunt straightforward question took a little time before answering it i am no more jockey sir than you are john said the stranger as if offended at being addressed by a name which at that time was used as sawney now is for a general appellative of the scottish nation my name if you must know it is ritchie maniples and i come of the old and honourable house of castle collop weel kenned at the west port of edinburgh what is that you call the west port proceeded the interrogator why an it like your honour said ritchie who now having recovered his senses sufficiently to observe the respectable exterior of master george threw more civility into his manner than at first the west port is a gate of our city as yonder brick arches at whitehall form the entrance of the king's palace here only that the west port is of a stone and work and mare decorated with architecture and the policy of bigging nouns man the whitehall gateways were planned by the great holbein answered master george i suspect your accident has jumbled your brains my good friend i suppose you will tell me next you have at edinburgh as fine a navigable river as the thames with all its shipping the thames exclaimed ritchie in a tone of ineffable contempt god bless your honour's judgment we have at edinburgh the water of leith and the norlock and the powburn and the quarry holes and the goosedub ye loon answered master george speaking scotch with a strong and natural emphasis it is such land loopers as you that with your falset and fair fashions bring reproach on our whole country god forgie me sir said ritchie much surprised at finding the supposed southron converted into a native scot i took your honour for an englisher but i hope there was naething rang in standing up for ain's ain country's credit in a strange land where all men cry her down 
do you call it for your country's credit to show that she has a lying puffing rascal for one of her children said master george but come and never look grave on it as you have found a countryman so you have found a friend if you deserve one and especially if you answer me truly i see nay good it would do me to speak aught else but truth said the worthy north briton well then to begin said master george i suspect you are a son of old mungo manipoles the flesher at the westport your honour is a witch i think said ritchie grinning and how dared you sir to uphold him for a noble i didn't ken sir said ritchie scratching his head i hear muckle of an earl of warwick in these southern parts guy i think his name was and he has great reputation here for slaying dun cows and boars and such like and i am sure my father has killed more cows and boars not to mention bulls calves sheep ewes lambs and pigs than the hale baronage of england go to you are a shrewd knave said master george charm your tongue and take care of saucy answers your father was an honest burgher and the deacon of his craft i am sorry to see his son in so poor a coat indifferent sir said ritchie manipoles looking down on his garments very indifferent but it is the wanted livery of poor burgher's sons in our country one of lucky wants bestowing upon us rest us patient the king's leaving scotland has taken all custom frae edinburgh and there is hay made at the cross and a dainty crop of fuats in the grass market there is as much grass grows where my father's stall stood as might have been a good bite for the beasts he was used to kill it is even too true said master george and while we make fortunes here our old neighbours and their families are starving at home this should be thought upon oftener and how came you by that broken head ritchie tell me honestly troth sir i's no lee about the matter answered manipoles i was coming along the street here and ilk ane was at me with their jests and roguery so i thought to myself ye are ower money for me to mell with but let me catch ye in barford's park or at the fit of the venal i could gar some o ye sing another sang say a old herpling deevil of a potter behooved just to step in my way and offer me a pig as he said just to put my scotch ointment in and i gave him a push as but natural and the tottering devil cooped our amang his ain pigs and damaged a score of them and then the reared rays and hadna these twae gentlemen helped me out of it murdered i should have been without remedy and as it was just when they got hot of my arm to have me out of the fray i got to lick that donner at me from a left-handed lighterman master george looked to the apprentice as if to demand the truth of this story it is just as he said sir replied jenkin only i heard nothing about pigs the people said he had broke some crockery and that i beg pardon sir nobody could thrive within the kenning of a scot well no matter what they said you were an honest fellow to help the weaker side and you sir continued master george addressing his countrymen will call at my house to-morrow morning agreeable to this direction i will wait upon your honour said the scot bowing very low that is if my honourable master will permit me thy master said george hast thou any other master save one whose livery you say you wear troth in one sense if it please your honour i served way master said ritchie for both my master and me are slaves to the same beldam whom we thought to show our heels to by coming off from scotland so that you see sir i hold in a sort of black ward tenure as we call it in our country being the servant of a servant and what is your master's name said master george and observing that ritchie hesitated he added nay do not tell me if it is a secret a secret that there is little use in keeping said ritchie only ye ken that our northern stomachs are our proud to call in witnesses to our distress know that my master is in 
mayor than president pinch sir he added looking towards the two english apprentices having a large sum in the royal treasury that is he continued in a whisper to master george the king is owing him a lot of siller but it's still getting at it it's like my master is the young lord glenvarlock master george testified surprise at the name you one of the young lord glenvarlock's followers and in such a condition troth and i am all the followers he has for the present that is and blithe would i be if he were muckle better aft than i am though i were to bide as i am i have seen his father with four gentlemen and ten lackeys at his heels said master george rustling in their laces and velvets well this is a changeful world but there is a better beyond it the good old house of glenvarlock that stood by king and country five hundred years your honour may say a thousand said the follower i will say what i know to be true friend said the citizen and not a word more you seem well recovered now can you walk bravely sir said ritchie it was but a bit dover i was bred at the west point and my cantle will stand a clower wad bring a shot down where does your master lodge we pit up and it like your honour replied the scot in a small house at the fit of ain of the winds that gang down to the waterside with a decent man john christie a ship chandler as they cat his father came from dundee i wot no the name of the wind but it's right anent the mickle kirk yonder and your honour will mind that we pass only by our family name of simple mr nigel oliphant as keeping ourselves retired for the present though in scotland we be called the lord nigel it is wisely done of your master said a citizen i will find out your lodgings though your direction be none of the clearest so saying and slipping a piece of money at the same time into ritchie manipolis's hand he bade him hasten home and get into no more affrays i will take care of that now sir said ritchie with a look of importance having a charge about me and so wussing ye a wheel with special thanks to thee twa young gentlemen i am no gentleman said jenkin flinging his cap on his head i am a tight london prentice and hope to be a freeman one day frank may write himself gentleman if he will i was a gentleman once in tunstall and i hope i have done nothing to lose the name of one wheel wheel as ye list said richard and it please but i am mickle beholden to ye baith and i am not a hair the less like to bear it in mind that i say but little about it just now good night to you my kind countryman so saying he thrust out of the sleeve of his ragged doublet a long bony hand and arm on which the muscles rose like whipcord master george shook it heartily while jenkin and frank exchanged sly looks with each other ritchie manipolis would next have addressed his thanks to the master of the shop but seeing him as he afterwards said scribbling on his bit bookie as if he were demented he contented his politeness by giving him a hat touching that is his bonnet in token of salutation and so left the shop now there goes scotch jockey with all his bad and good about him said master george to master david who suspended though unwillingly the calculations with which he was engaged and keeping his pen within an inch of the tablets gazed on his friend with great lacklustre eyes which expressed anything rather than intelligence or interest in the discourse addressed to him that fellow proceeded master george without heeding his friend's state of abstraction shows with great liveliness of colouring how our scotch pride and poverty make liars and braggarts of us and yet the knave whose every third word to an englishman is a boastful lie will i warrant you be a true and tender friend and follower to his master as has perhaps parted with his mantle to him in the cold blast although he himself walked in querpo as the don says strange that courage and fidelity for i will warrant that the knave is still 
should have no better companion than this swaggering braggadocio humour but you mark me not friend davy i do i do most heedfully said davy for as the sun goeth round the dial-plate in twenty-four hours add for the moon fifty minutes and a half you are in the seventh heavens man said his companion i crave your pardon replied davy let the wheel a go round in twenty-four hours i have it and the wheel b in twenty-four hours fifty minutes and a half fifty-seven being two fifty-four as fifty-nine to twenty-four hours fifty minutes and a half or very nearly i crave your forgiveness master george and heartily wish you good even good even said master george why you have not wished me good day yet come old friend lay by these tablets or you will crack the inner machinery of your skull as our friend yonder has got the outer case of his damaged good night quotha i mean not to part with you so easily i came to get my four hours nuncheon from you man besides a tune on the lute from my goddaughter mrs margot good faith i was abstracted master george but you know me whenever i get amongst the wheels said mr ramsay why tis lucky that you deal in small ones said his friend as awakened from his reveries and calculations ramsay led the way up a little back stair to the first story occupied by his daughter and his little household the apprentices resumed their places in the front shop and relieved sam porter when jenkins said to tunstall did see frank how the old goldsmith cottoned in with his beggarly countrymen when would one of his wealth have shaken hands so courteously with a poor englishman well i'll say that for the best of the scots that they will go over head and ears to serve a countryman when they will not wet a nail of their finger to save a southland as they call us from drowning and yet master george is but half-bred scot neither in that respect for i have known him do many a kind thing to the english too but hark ye jenkins said tunstall i think you are but half-bred english yourself how came you to strike on the scotsman's side of it after all why you did so too answered vincent ay because i saw you begin and besides it is no cumberland fashion to fall fifty upon one replied tunstall and no christchurch fashion neither said jenkins fair play and old english for ever besides to tell you a secret his voice had a twang in it in the dialect i mean reminded me of a little tongue which i think sweeter sweeter than the last toll of st dunstan's will sound on the day that i am shot of my indentures ha you guess who i mean frank not i indeed answered tunstall scotch janet i suppose the laundress off with janet in her own bucking basket no 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 you blind buzzard do you not know i mean pretty mrs margot humph answered tunstall dryly a flash of anger not unmingled with suspicion shot from jenkins keen black eyes humph and what signifies hum i'm not the first prentice has married his master's daughter i suppose they kept their own secret i fancy said tunstall at least till they were out of their time i tell you what it is frank answered jenkins sharply that may be the fashion of you gentlefolks that are taught from your biggin to carry two faces under the same hood but it shall never be mine there are the stairs then said tunstall coolly go up and ask mrs margot of our master just now and see what sort of a face he will wear under his hood no i wanna answered jenkins i'm not such a fool as that neither but i will take my own time and all the counts in cumberland shall not cut my comb and this is that which you may depend upon francis made no reply and they resumed their usual attention to the business of the shop and their usual solicitations to the passengers End of chapter 2